Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from the Wine Road in Sonoma County, California. My next guest is a rather notorious figure in these parts. She's known as the Wine Gal, but of course everybody knows her also as Ziggy. No need to know her, her, her last name because nobody ever asks. Am I right? <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. <laughs> everybody assumes the last name is the Wine Gal. In fact, I don't think anybody knows my uh, last name on my driver's license, and that's okay. So you're a wine expert? I am. What has changed about the wine in this county, about what people perceive it to be or what it is or, or its prominence in the world? Well, uh, well, that's a good question. That's why uh, I do my job. <laughs> what has changed about the wine in this county? I, I think originally uh, Sonoma County was known for just one or two varietals. And I think the diversity that's happening in Sonoma County and has been happening for the last uh, decade or two has really changed the perception of wine uh, being made and being grown, quite frankly, in Sonoma County. Okay. How has it changed it? How has it changed what? The kinds of wine that are, that are being grown. Give me an example. Well, there's been a lot more uh, development as far as um, site specificity and what works well. Um, so, in other words, a lot of folks in the very beginning were just planting random varieties all over Sonoma County. Sort of like throwing darts against the wall. Yeah, just to try and figure out what works. Yeah. And we now know... Um, 
through the process of, of the years gone by, um, that Pinot Noir works really well in certain areas and doesn't work so well in other areas. Uh, on the same note, Cabernet works really, really well in some areas and really doesn't in other areas. But paint the picture for me when you say some areas. How big mm-hmm. a place are we talking about here? What's the actual well, size? Well, less than 6% of Sonoma County is actually planted to wine grapes. Um, and Sonoma County is about close to 1,600 square miles uh, big. So it's a pretty large appellation in and of itself. And uh, with less than 6% being planted to wine grapes, it still leaves quite a, quite a large area um, to plant wine grapes. And um, you'll see now places where you never thought wine grapes would grow, like uh, out at the extreme Sonoma Coast. You look at the Fort Ross Seaview area. You know, for example, really extreme cool climate, growing some exceptional Syrah. And you know what? 20 years ago, a lot of folks never thought about cold climate Syrah in Sonoma County or cold climate Syrah at all in this, in this country. And Sonoma County's been doing it for a while now. And some of almost accidentally, right? They just, they just figured it out one day. Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, it was like process of elimination, what really works um, and, and see what thrives in certain areas. But right now we have so many different varietals that are being grown here. I mean, with white wines and with red wines. Now we're talking to Ziggy the Wine Gal uh, uh, about the entire wine experience. How did you become a rock and roll sommelier? <laughs> well, that's a good segue. Um, you know, well, it's all about the experience. Come it on. is. It is all about the experience. Um, and really, my my life is my work, and it's woven into the fabric of everything that I do. And and this was just a natural progression for me. Um, I have a lot of friends that are musicians and have for most of my life. And um, I came from a family where we were all forced to play musical instruments growing up. And what were you forced to play? Uh, well, piano at first, and then I took clarinet, then I took guitar. But that's a whole other story. That's how I got my, my nickname, Ziggy, Stardust, David Bowie reference. But in any case, uh, pretty much music has, has been part of my life um, up to this day and will continue to be. And I was bringing wine backstage to a lot of concerts, you know, where I had- You were just trying to get backstage. Well, I was married to a musician for 27 years, so- Nobody's married (laughs) to a musician for 27 years, nobody. I know, well, here you are. you set the record right there, (laughs) wow. So I would bring different bottles of wine backstage. By the way, was he aware of the fact you were married to him for 27 years? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanna make, I just had to ask that question. Yeah, well, and that's a good question. He was very aware. until he checked out. But in any case, uh, I, I digress. Uh, truly, so you were, drinking, you were bringing wine backstage to the band. I was bringing wine backstage for the band. Because, of course, I, what band wants to play without wine? Well, it wasn't just that so much as I noticed uh, over the course of months and then years that backstage there is a lot of really not great things for the band to eat or drink. So I would show up with a little picnic basket and set were up doing, some They were doing decent... M&Ms and Twizzlers back there. <laughs> Only green M&Ms. Yeah, no, wait, purple M&Ms. That was in the contract. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. So uh, it got to be to the point where they'd say, hey, Zig, you know, what wine are you bringing next time? And so I would bring different things that they wouldn't have had before. And we'd talk about wine on the breaks and after the show. The, the, how and... much do the bands really know about wine? Uh, you know, th- some of them knew a lot and some of them knew very little, but by the end of the gig, they knew more than they did when they walked in. Isn't it interesting now that Mick Fleetwood is is a winemaker? That's right. There's a lot of musicians out there that are starting to make wine. And, and really, at the end of the day, most of the musicians and rock stars and everything else that I know, they want one or two really great glasses of wine at the end of their day, just like we do. So uh, I figured out how to bridge that gap between the music world and the wine world and now put together wine programs for world tours. A wine program? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I Between sure your do. third and fourth set tonight, you'll be drinking the Cabernet. Well, or, you know, if I know that a particular drummer only likes Burgundy or Pinot Noir, that's what he gets in his dressing room or in his, in his trailer or whatever on his tour bus. And yep. how many bands have been late to the stage because of the wine program? Not one. <laughs> I run a pretty tight ship. You have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance. Over. That's Clarence. Over. Over. Roger. Huh? We've been speaking with Ziggy the Wine Gal and her interesting and improbable uh, historical route of providing wine programs for touring rock bands. Yes. Is it in their contract sometimes? Well, this is really how I developed uh, the World Tour program, is that I was with a band when they were recording an album. Which band? Journey. Okay, fine. And I asked the guys when they were taking a break in the studio, you know, what is in your writer? What's in your contract? When you guys go on the road, you know, what are you being served? And they said, well, we're supposed to have, you know, X amount of bottles of really good white wine and really good red wine, and that's what they put in the contract. But the problem was, I said, well, is that really what you're getting? And they said, no, not really, because our idea of good wine and sometimes the concert promoter idea of good wine is two different things entirely so depending on what venue we're at you know they might give us a bottle of you bottle know, and james <laughs> yeah, well or you know blank appellation xyz wine that would normally retail for seven or eight ninety nine a bottle and in fact these guys are like you know they're not even going to give it to people that they don't like it's just yucky wine so i said oh well that's an issue wouldn't it be nice if you were uh maybe given some wine that you actually really wanted to drink and they're like yeah but how does that happen we you know we pack up we, where we head out we go to the next gig um, and I said well what if I design a program that you know ensured that everywhere you go all along the tour you're drinking exactly what you would like so to drink. you're actually specifying in their writers in their contracts not only the type of wine but the brand well that's uh, the brand sometimes I mean mostly for me what's happened appears that I've gotten to know what their palates are you know so I know what wines put together and a lot of it is they like a surprise element so it's not about I'm going to just put one particular brand backstage or on their tour bus it's that I'll put a particular style of wines, and sometimes I'll throw in um, a couple of wackadoodle wines just for fun, just to see what they think. All right, so what does Journey drink? Uh, what I give them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. No, uh, well, Jonathan Kane, the keyboard player and songwriter for for Journey, uh, really is the is the big wine expert, and um, his palate has really developed over the years. And he loves all wine that's well made. But I also know that he has a tendency towards really gorgeous Pinot Noirs. At the same time, you know, I just served a Senso for him backstage a couple months ago, and he's like, I don't even know Senso. I said, Well, it's this Rhone varietal, and I had found it. You know, actually meeting with the winemaker completely blew me away. 125 year old vines, and he says, I'll try it. So I gave him a taste. He goes, I think that's one of the best red wines I've ever had. And I said, yeah, it retails for 20 bucks. And he goes, you're kidding. I said, no, it's an exceptional bottle of wine. So it's those little moments where he wasn't expecting it. I pulled it out of my back pocket, so to speak. And, you know, and he, that's you know, why I do what I do. And the next thing you know, he's ordering a couple of cases. He did. I knew. See, I he knew did. that. I knew he that. He did. And then everybody else wants to get in on, on it, too. So it's, uh, you know, those those guys are just appreciative of, of what, you know, whatever I want to give them. But more importantly, over the years, I've gotten to know each one of their palates. And Jonathan, at this point, really is the only one that's drinking wine. And he's also growing one and he's also making his own wine now. So really? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we've gone from sex, drugs and rock and roll to sex, drugs, rock and roll and varietals. That's exactly right. Well, mostly just the the sex varietals and rock and roll. <laughs> and any one of those particular orders is fine. <laughs> wow. And did you travel with the bands too? Uh, I do. Mm-hmm. I absolutely Because do. a band needs a traveling uh, sommelier. Well, but most, and I will go to the important gigs. I don't need to go to every gig, but I have the program designed. So I love the way you said, I'll only go to the important gigs. Well, I mean, I don't need to go to every gig, really. You know, and if they know that they want me to certain gigs, because there's going to be a lot of high profile people backstage, they're going to 
going to actually want me there to, to be pouring the wines. That's one thing. But the way that I have the programs designed, I don't actually have to be there. Their, their tour manager and their production people help out. So what you're basically saying to me, Ziggy, is that because of the wine, you get the all-access pass. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? <laughs> I am all-access all the time. <laughs> Any surprises with the groups that, that, that threw you for a loop? Oh, you know, actually, I have one good quote. I'm working on my wine and rock and roll book right now. It's been in progress for a few years, but I have one good quote. Uh, the drummer from Elton John, I was pouring wine backstage for Elton John's band, and uh, the drummer came up to me, and I knew that he was a big Burgundy aficionado. I knew a lot of the guys in the band love Burgundy, so what did I do? I showed up with absolutely no Burgundy, because this is how I roll, and I'd never met these guys before, right? So I show up with some Sonoma County Pinot Noir, true story, Russian River Valley Pinot Noir from Arista Winery, large formats. I thought that would be impressive, three liters and whatnot not so the drummer walks up to me looks at zig you know in his fabulous accent he goes what is this that you're pouring for us you know and just we like we like burgundy i said i heard that and he goes well this isn't burgundy i said no it's not i said but you will love it and he says well what is it and i said well i'm gonna pour it and you tell me if you like it and he said ziggy if there's ever one thing i've learned in my life it's this and i all of a sudden started getting nervous you know and he, i said what is it and he says compromise is for relationships it is not for wine Ooh. Ooh. and i uncorked that bottle and wouldn't you know he fell in love with it right away he says this was an excellent choice. Ziggy the Wine. <laughs> I love that story. Back with more of Peter Weaver Worldwide from Sonoma County right after this. If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Joining me now, I, I, everybody has not one title. They have many titles in this, in, this, in, in this neck of the woods. And my next guest, Susan Jones, is a city councilwoman from Hillsburg, but also the former chief of police. That's correct. I mean, why wouldn't you stay as chief of... I love that idea. Yeah, I loved it too, and I really enjoyed the job. It was probably my favorite one. What was the biggest crime issue in Hillsburg? Wine theft? <laughs> Bad wine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mostly uh, thefts. Yeah. Mostly thefts. Yeah. And, and uh, but I mean, how long did you do that? I did it for just about nine years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And now you're on the city council. Now I'm on the city council. When people come to California, and, and, and Sonoma County being in one in particular, I mean, there's a certain preconception, a certain stereotypical image of, oh, it's just wine country, or it's farming country, or it's this, it's that. Would you describe Sonoma County for me? I, uh, it's, it's fabulous. Um, but I came from yeah. the East Bay, Concord. And it's a big city, uh, concrete all over the place. And you come out here to Sonoma County and you see the redwoods and the vineyards and the farming and the cows, the dairy. And it's, it's a slower way of life. And I, I know that because when I lived in Healdsburg the first six months, I couldn't believe that people actually drove 25 miles per hour. Because in a big city, they don't. <laughs> and that was fast. That was fast. Yeah. Yeah. I had to slow down. So wait a second. 
So basically what you're telling me is you weren't writing a lot of speeding tickets. No, we don't write a lot of speeding tickets. Yeah. People drive slower. Yeah. And they actually, you come to a four-way stop and, and everyone stops. waves each other on. Like, no, you go. We, no, you go. It's, no, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but this is also a community and a county that is, I mean, it's a community. It is a community. And, 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 it's, and everybody sort of either knows everybody or, or respects them. That's true. It's a sense of pride. Uh, if you say you're from Sonoma County, it's just the sense of pride about it. Speaking of pride, are they open? I mean, you, you, you actually set a record, didn't you, in terms of being openly gay? That's a gay. nice transition. Yeah. I, had, I heard the word pride. <laughs> I went for it, baby. Right? Yeah. But you did, right? I did. Yes. I mean, and in a community that, that wasn't going to go nuts about it. Not at all. They didn't go nuts at all. And I was just, in fact, when I got the job, I had called the city manager back. You're talking about the police chief job. The police chief's job when he hired me because I was afraid I would come here and it wouldn't be cool because, you know, Northern California, you hear some stories about it being a little more conservative. And uh, I said, please run it by the council because I don't want to come up here and then six months later get ridden out on a rail. So you came in determined to have full disclosure. Absolutely. And the response was, yeah, come on in. Come on. That was refreshing. It was. We even got married in Sonoma County, my partner and I. When, for that one little brief window. That little tiny window, 2008. I mean, I had to laugh because, you know, everybody knew, right? Everybody knew that when that window opened, do not stop, do not pass, go, run. Run. Right? Run. Yeah. Wow. And look at all all the different court cases that are coming out now. Where certain states, I mean, states can't get their acts together. I mean, some are, right? And, you know, it's it's like the old days, you know, it it was a federal crime to cross state lines, right? But guess what? People are crossing state lines now because they're they're going where they're going to be accepted. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Other than describing it as open, welcoming, accommodating, Mm -hmm. right? Respectful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm now going to ask you to put your police chief's hat back on for a second. Okay. What are the problems? Problems, we do have, um, I, I think, a large number of low-income people, and a lot of them are, are fine vineyard workers and, and people who work out in the farms. They're not making enough money to survive, you know, and, and have benefits and things like that. But we're also seeing, like I know in our community, in the Healdsburg area, we have Alliance Medical Center, which is geared for those people, low income, who can't afford medical services. So and the community has stepped up to the plate. Yeah, at least, yeah. and a lot of the uh, vineyard owners are putting in their own uh, housing for the for their workers. They should. And they're really taking but they, care but, of them. But they should. They should. Yeah, and it's great to see it happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean we talk about responsible tourism, but that's responsible business. Right. Right. It is. Because many of these families. Aren't just aren't just the typical traditional migrant workers because right. they're coming here all the time. Right, a lot of them live here all the time. Yeah, yeah, I know. But in terms of uh, actual, you want to talk about crime? It's um, mostly crimes of opportunity. We do have some gang-related crime. I think that's that's in every community. You have now. wine gangs. Wine gangs, yes. <laughs> white versus red. <laughs> <laughs> And those that can't decide, it's rosé. Yeah, the, the, the Crips and the Chardonnays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I shouldn't go there. Okay. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
This segment of Travel Today is brought to you by the State of Mexico. You've heard of Mexico the country, and Mexico the city, and then there's the State of Mexico. Located in the heart of the nation, it's a place of history, culture, and outdoor adventures. Welcome to the State of Mexico. You know, whenever you go through uh, Northern California, whenever you go through the wine country, more and more you end up talking to people who are hyphenates. They don't just do one thing, they do multiple things, and they're pursuing their passions in multiple ways. And my next guest certainly fits that bill. Imagine this, an emergency physician and the owner of Lauterbach Cellars, Stu Lauterbach. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. So which one do you like the best? Which job? Yeah. How do you pick your favorite kid? <laughs> I, uh, I love working in the emergency department. There's tremendous satisfaction, um, but it's incredibly high stress. And going out to the vineyard and the winery and just sitting back, it's wonderful. And so basically relaxing. you spend half your time saving lives and the rest of your half enhancing them. You could say that. I just did. Yeah. The interesting thing is that people come to visit me at both places. In one place, they want, really want to be there. and the other place, they really don't want to be there. <laughs> But at the winery, they do want to be there. Oh, absolutely. And you are one of the few wineries that I know that actively allows people to barrel taste. Oh, all the time. Now, why is that going away? Because I think that's part of the whole experience. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the growth of the winery and the... Uh, or, the or the corporate winery. The, the corporate winery, but also the individual winery. Um, it, when you start having employees, it's just my wife and I, we don't have any employees. Um, the uh, uh, front staff... Uh, it doesn't really have the luxury or privilege of going and crawling into the barrels because the winemaker will, we'll, we'll won't be them. happy, let's Won't be happy, say. right. <laughs> um, and uh, I, since I do everything, it's easy for me to do what I want to do. And so I love to take people back and open up a few barrels and, and do some blends and try some how two different barrels can taste so incredibly different and when you combine them how different yet they are. Exactly. And you've been doing this since college, right? I made my first batch of wine when I was in college. I picked some wild grapes off of a grapevine in uh, the alley. When nobody was watching? I don't, think, I don't think anybody cared because they just rotted on the vine. And I took them home and put them in a crock and punched them down with a canoe paddle. And uh, that became our first batch of wine. And did it have a name? No. <laughs> <laughs> Stew's Special Brew? <laughs> no. Uh, but what, what kind of grapes? Uh, currently, currently, we grow Pinot and Syrah. And so we make Pinot and Syrah, and everything's on site. Now, you mentioned the words Pinot, everybody thinks Oregon, but you've got Pinot here. The Russian River is uh, the, one of the world's greatest places for Pinot Noir. Um, Oregon, Russian River, um, Carneros, I just have it above everybody. When people come and visit you, what's the biggest surprise they find about, about the kind of wine? The kind of wine? Right. What are they expecting to drink, and what are, you, what are they actually going to drink? Oh, I think the, uh, people who come uh, pretty much have an idea of where, what they're coming into. They're pretty oriented to the area generally. Really? They've, um, done, they've done their homework? Most of them have done their homework. Certainly the people who show up at my place, uh, we do it by appointment only. Uh, those people uh, know wine. And, uh, so you're not doing a lot of bus tours. You're not doing any bus tours, really. It's, it's... I, there's one bus company that occasionally will bring six or eight people. So this is a small bus. It's not a big bus. It's a small bus. And that's the way you like it. It's the only way we can do it. Yeah, because you're that small. We're that small. It's a two-and-a-half-car garage. 
That's, so it, it, it stews winery in a two and a half car garage. Yeah. I love it. And I we do it. everything in the garage. We make all of our wine. We grow all of our grapes. Amazing. What's changed here? Well, the, certainly the population in the 30 years I've lived in Sonoma County um, has probably doubled. Uh, in the emergency department, we've gone from a sleepy little community hospital to an inner, inner city trauma center. The, in the wine industry, um, the vineyard uh, sizes have doubled, or I should say the planted acres in the county is about doubled. Interestingly, at the same time, the, the uh, trend and the stress to uh, farm in an in a ecologic manner has become huge. Um, so what are you doing differently then? Well, in the, in the decade between about 2000 and 2010, uh, vineyards probably grew by 70%, and the amount of chemicals used dropped in half. And that was a conscious effort. Oh, absolutely. And um, the Sonoma County uh, Vin- or Grape Growers Association currently is trying to get 100% participation in sustainability um, to try and reduce our footprint on the earth. And nobody knows the earth better than the farmers who are out there with their fingers in the dirt. So you've seen the change. You've seen the change for the better, then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when the chemicals were being used, and and that was just the way things were done then, right? I mean, that's, that's what it was doing. Well, they still are being used, but they're they're being used in uh, much more organic nature. Um, many more. Um, well, for example, at our place, um, we, we used to have problems with gophers. And people would put strychnine in the, in the gopher holes. And then the, the birds would eat the gophers and the, get killed. Now we plant owl houses in the trees. And now we have owls and a breeding pair of owls will eat 2,000 rodents a year. And the owls just take care of business. They take care of business. We don't have any problem with gophers. <laughs> Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? Let's face it, this is where California wine, some people would argue, got its start. And joining me now, somebody who knows a little bit about that, he's the actual city historian of Sonoma, George McHale. How are you, sir? I'm well. How, am I somewhat near correct being saying that, that, that the wine started here? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, it, it started in the city of Sonoma with the Buena Vista Winery, 1857. Um, and the Count Harassi was the really one of the first winemakers here in California. And it was a Count. He, he was known as the Count. <laughs> yes, he was from Hungary. Wow. And one winery has, broke, has, has branched out into how many now? They still have the. They still have the one. No, but how many? How many actually in Sonoma? Oh, I can't count. I can't, even in the. <laughs> He's city. a historian, ladies and gentlemen, but he can't count. No, no, no. The city of Sonoma itself. I mean, this is a big running oh, issue. Course, there, yeah. There's got to be fifty, um, and another two hundred wine tasting rooms just around our historic plaza. When people come up to California, and I say come up because I'm in Los Angeles. You know, they have certain preconceptions. They have certain stereotypical expectations, if you will, about what Sonoma is. Why don't you tell me what Sonoma isn't? I'd say Sonoma. What kind of question is that? What is? Are you questioning the questioner? No, I like. I, I uh, it's like. It's a good question. question. 
I don't think people understand the history. Particularly, yeah. There are two Sonomas. There's Sonoma County and there's the city of Sonoma. The city of Sonoma is obviously in the county. Right. But people tend to think of Sonoma as, as the northern county wineries you know, throughout the county. But the city of Sonoma historically had the fir- first wineries. It's sort of a forgotten little enclave. But it really also was part of the westward expansion of the California Trail. It is the most significant historic city in the state of California. It because? Is, it is the uh, northernmost uh, Mexican city, the last mission founded by the, uh, and the only under Mexican authority, and it had the Bear Flag Revolt. But how it, many people even realize that the, that the Mexican missions went that far north? You're right. Very few. They need to come to the city of Sonoma. They'll find out. An incredible amount of amazing <laughs> history just like that. All right, so let's, let's stop right there for a second. Why was it the last mission? Well, the Mexican government decided they needed a mission close to the Russian settlement of Fort Ross. 1835, uh, Mariano Vallejo came in and developed the city. But the gold rush, you know, 1848, brought in all kinds of Americans. By 1850, we were a state. Uh, and that was it. That was the end. That yeah. was the end of Mexico. And... And yet, it, you, you can still find it here. Absolutely. Throughout the county, throughout the city of Sonoma. What about any kind of excavation work here? What are, you, are, are you still finding stuff? We're finding a lot of stuff right in the city of Sonoma. We've had a great opportunity to do some archaeological excavations, block off our historic plaza. Um, and these are behind homes that were built by our founder, Mariano Vallejo, um, and his brother, Salvador. And we conducted a great excavation inviting the public out there a couple of years ago. Um, and found material dating back to the 1840s. Now, tell me about the musket ball. I love musket balls. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good musket ball? <laughs> musket balls, yeah, they, it's, they're the round, lead-based bullets found in uh, early American. The Mexican um, soldiers all had musket balls. And throughout the city of Sonoma, we found quite a few musket balls. Different size caliber, small, large. But what stories did they tell? The musket ball, imagine holding it in your hand. It's not just a lead ball. It was shot from a firearm. For what, for what reasons? A whole variety of reasons in Sonoma. They used them for hunting. Um, there were wars against the Native Americans. So there's a lot of tragedy also around those musket balls. But every musket ball tells a story. And where do you see them now? You c- we have a local museum that actually displays quite go. a few musket balls. And if you look really hard, I can't tell you the number of people that find musket balls around even Sonoma. Now, even now? Even now. And they bring them to me as a city historian and say, what is this? And I say, well, you know what? That's a musket ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. What are the surprises here that are people not expecting to find? Um, you know, when I go out and talk about history and the history of Sonoma, I talk a lot about the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of Sonoma. And that's really the exciting part. We already talked about the um, uh, Count. Yeah. And the Count, well, he, he started the first winery here, but he ended up, you know, in some bad business situations, went down to Nicaragua and was eaten by a crocodile. Um, we have... Don't you love that story? I, I, I want to hear more, of course. I, I, I love that story. I mean, half of our... The west side, the east side of our plaza was burnt down in 1911. Some of our historic buildings were saved because they were doused with wine. We ran out of water. Come on. No. I'm telling you, 1911. Can you imagine that? One of our... Cooking with wine, baby. That's right. 
can't drink it, That's you right. can put out the fires. <laughs> <laughs> and those buildings are still there. Yes. Yeah, one of our most treasured buildings, the Blue Wing Inn, um, constructed in the 1830s, uh, is still standing. And it's standing because wine doused the roof with fire in 1911. Wow. Well, you know, I... There, I'd like to talk to the fire department about that. I'd like to see how they're, how, what's, what's in their pumper right now. Yeah, yeah. But, but the bottom line is, you don't just have to come up here for the wine. There's the history. Absolutely. And it's an amazing history. And so, Sonoma itself is tucked away. It's tucked away against the hills. It's sort of hard to get to. It's a small community, and it's always been a small community. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you want to fly here, I mean, Horizon Air has got maybe two flights a day. They're fun. And it's, a, and it's a cute airport. I mean, what other airport's going to call itself the Charles Schultz Peanuts Airport? That's right. Right? Because he was here. Yeah, and it's a great, a, a, what a great airport. You know what? They even actually have a decent restaurant at the airport. They have sushi. And I didn't know that. I told you something? How that do you like will that? will go down the historic yeah, They have sushi yeah. with musket balls. No, <laughs> no, no, no. No, but they really do. And, and you know what? I, I like to actually go to that airport early because you can watch all the planes, all the little planes taking off, right? We, we hear them flying over where we are right now. Right, right, right. But then you can have a nice meal. It's, it's just you walk off your plane and literally 20 feet away, you, you're, you've left the airport. Yeah. How many gates? Uh, one. One. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. So much of Sonoma County, when you, t- when you deal with wine, is, it, is not about the big corporate wineries. It's about the family wineries. And my next guest knows a little bit about that because her entire family is in the winery every day, every night. And it's Nicole Bacigalupi. Ba- I didn't do it. I, I was going to try to. You were so it's good the first time. Bacigalupi? Yes. I got it. You got it. Italian. <laughs> yes. Okay. Bacigalupi. The translation is kiss of the wolf in Italian. Kiss of the wolf. Yes. Do people recover from the kiss of the wolf? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you've been you've been literally on uh, on the vineyard there since you were a baby. Yes, I have memories of uh, watching my dad harvest at like six, seven years old. And so. how many people are actually working in, from the family in the winery? There's three generations of us. So my grandmother just released the books and all the contracts uh, a year ago, and she's 89. And then my mother, my father, who's the general manager of all the vineyard operations. And then my sister, who is my counterpart and myself. So Your twin sister? Yes, we're fraternal twins. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So you didn't really have much of a choice in the matter. You're going in the wine business. You know, I have to say my parents were really good about that. They said, you know, go off, go to college. If you want to come back, we'd love to have you. If you don't, we'll figure it out. And where'd you go to school? I went to San Diego State. Where you studied a lot of wine. (laughs) Yes, only after 21, of course. (laughs) That's okay. The statute of limitations has expired. (laughs) You could admit you were drinking wine early on in your life, and you know it. Yes, in college, I actually sold wine um, to restaurants and retail shops. So that was kind of my side job was selling wine. But I mean, when you grow up in a wine culture, you're having wine in every meal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my daughter's six months old, and she's already had great sparkling wine. Really? Yes. (laughs) 
So she goes to bed early night. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Come on. A little sip here and there. Yeah, rock a bye Here, have some more wine, rock a bye No. You just really have an appreciation at a young age, so it's easy to kind of infiltrate into your life. And you're working your way up in terms of becoming a sommelier. I have my first level um, sommelier certification. Explain how that works. So it's a little complicated because there are two different uh, associations that deal with sommelier certifications. There's the Court of Master Sommelier, which is, of course, French-born. And it's very focused on French uh, wines and education. And you have to go through that full. So there's the other um, program, which is the Certified Wine Specialist and Certified Wine Educator. But those don't intertwine so see what always amazes me about all the tests that you have to go through to, to get to that to that state is they're going to do blind tastings with you guys yes, right yes and i wouldn't know what to do I'm, I, I would say oh yeah it's wine and that's wine that's not, that tastes like wine it's grapey it's grapey <laughs> i mean how do you develop that palate it's 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 a lot of practice and and we're not tasting and swallowing of course when we're tasting we're spitting and a lot of people find that odd but well you have to do that you have to absolutely yeah so it's um it's practice so basically you're a master spitter <laughs> i do you know i enjoy actually drinking the wine every once in a while but yeah nobody's looking she's not spitting yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's really good <laughs> What kind of wine are you guys specializing in at your winery? I would say Chardonnay is probably our benchmark varietal that we're really known for. And what's interesting about that is you hear Pinot mentioned all the time, right. some Cabernet, but Chardonnay is, has Chardonnay come back lately? Because a lot of people, you don't hear them ordering it a lot. They order the, the Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc, yes. They'll, they'll order, you know, the Pinot. The Merlot got beaten up from, from the movie Sideways, yeah, right? Poor Merlot. Poor Merlot. <laughs> but, but Chardonnay sort of went away for a while. Yeah, I mean, there's... You know, stylistically, it's really gotten a bad rap for that buttery, oaky, overly ripe style, which people have kind of been turned off by. I like to say we make our modern style because it's kind of in the middle. You have that buttery, oaky style, which is, you know, a little dated. And then you have the leaner style, which is all stainless steel, no malolactic. Um, and drier. And very dry, yeah. yes. So we're kind of right in the middle there. And I think it appeals to a lot of different palettes. Okay. Yes. See, I'm, I'm learning what I can say now if I ever go to the test. It's buttery, it's <laughs> oaky, it's got, right? Vocabulary is It's important. got that hint of chocolate. Yes. Yeah. Okay, you've just heard the entire extent of my repertoire in wine tasting. Buttery and chocolate. In, in, uh, oaky. Oaky. Okay, there. Does oaky work? Yes, widely used. Yes. <laughs> and... But you're still a small producer, aren't you? We are. We only do about 1,200 cases of production through our winery. That's it. That's, That's it. That's it. Yes. It's tiny. Yeah. But it's passion. Yes. Yeah. And we only want to make good stuff, you know? If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. When you talk about Sonoma, I mean, you, you can't, you know, every third word I think starts with a W and ends with an E. It starts, I think it's wine. And my next guest knows a little bit about that. Uh, and winemaker at St. John, you're the, you're the co-owner of the Pedroncelli Winery. Yes. What kind of wine are you guys doing? Delicious wine. I know. Of don't course. start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, what's so, your specialty? Yeah, uh, we have been making Zinfandel uh, since the 
inception of the winery. Uh, that was what was planted on the ranch sometime around the turn of the 20th century. You know, with all this, the stereotypes and the expectations of California wine, um, you know, Napa, and then to a certain extent Monterey, and, but Sonoma is a, is a relative newcomer when you think about it. You know, it's funny that you say that. Uh, Sonoma In had, terms of the radar. Yeah, in terms of radar, I'd agree. But in, uh, in terms of Sonoma's impact on the California wine industry, um, this is really, Sonoma County is, is ground zero. Uh, Buena Vista Winery was number one, bonded winery number one in California. And that's in, the down, in Sonoma proper. Going back how far? Oh, gosh, you know, I don't even know the date, but it's late 1800s. Um, well, it's interesting because after the 1800s, of course, we had Prohibition. Sure. And Sonoma played a big part in that. It did. You know, that was a, an interesting time. Um, Sonoma County had a tremendous amount of, of grape and wine going on here prior to Prohibition. And because of Prohibition and then the, the hardships of the Great Depression sort of in, during that time, um, a lot of the grapevines were pulled out. And there's a statistic, I believe. It's one thing to say you're going to stop making wine, but they went all the way to pulling the wine. Sure, there was no market. There was no market for it. There was some. There was some grape that was sold for sacramental purposes, making wine for sacramental purposes. For instance, our family actually sold grapes to uh, home winemakers, and the the local Italian families were used to having wine on their tables. So. So they were still drinking. They were still drinking, and and actually, you could. Uh, the head of household could make 200 gallons of wine uh, for personal sacramental purposes. So there's a lot of praying going on. Well, I always say these were either <laughs> these were either really big sinners or very holy people. I'm not sure which. Or, or, <laughs> or if you wanted a really good glass of wine, you went to yeah, church. Yeah. So that was that was really what was going on with those grapes, but a lot of them were pulled out, and and prunes were planted of all things. Different kind of sacramental purposes there. Yeah, well, boy, <laughs> terribly different. <laughs> But after World War II, that's when the, the, everything got replanted, right? Sure. With all the soldiers coming back from Europe, they developed a taste for wine. And that was a good thing for those of us who still had grapes in the ground. Did they come back as wine snobs? No. And actually, I think that's something that, that maybe California has developed better than Europe, is wine snobs. You know, wine is very much a part of every meal in Europe. And, and really, that's, that's what they came home expecting, was to have wine with meals. And they were not going to be denied. And they were not going to be denied. And in those days for Sonoma County, that was great, because this was an area with a lot of Italian immigrants in it who were very used to having wine. So the wines they were producing were very food-friendly, very table-driven food-driven wines. Wow. So how has it evolved since then? Oh, boy, the world has changed around us. And, you know, wine has certainly, um, certainly has its trends. But I would say that probably more importantly, what hasn't changed, and especially here in Sonoma County, is that wine is a part of of the culture here. It's a part of meals and wines have gotten better because winemaking technology has improved. And yet at the same time, and if you're here an airplane above us, it's because we're near the, we're near the uh, Charles Schultz Airport for peanuts. Uh, great little airport, by the way, in Santa Rosa. Uh, but I'm suspecting that one of the things that you've been able to preserve here is you don't have a lot of the corporate wineries here. We don't. You know, that's the wonderful thing about Sonoma County is that you come here to go wine tasting you walk into a tasting room, the likelihood of the person serving you behind the bar is probably a family member, perhaps a second, third, or fourth generation family member. It's not uncommon at all. Or the winemaker would, would come out and grab you by the hand and take you back in the back and say, let's taste something out of the barrel. It's, it's, it's a lot of farmers who became winemakers here. Um, 
and we've retained that. You know, we have we have some wonderful large wineries here in Sonoma County, um, and I I tip my hat to them. They're doing a great thing for the wine the wine world, but there's still a lot of us uh, that are small individual family owned properties. Like you guys, we are. Eighty seven years. Really? 87 years. My wife's grandparents purchased the property, middle of Prohibition. There was a house. Buy low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we, get, we get asked about what Giovanni's vision for the winery was when he purchased it. The vision was to have a little bit of land and a home to live in where you could grow some vegetables and feed your family. That was the vision. And then, of course, you know, when Prohibition, in the middle, at the end of Prohibition, and you're still coming out of the throes of the Great Depression... The important thing was to have a job, and by having your own small enterprise, so here's my question: you had a job. So if I come over to see you, you'll take me in the back. We'll taste out of the barrel. Absolutely. All right, Ed St. John, co-owner of the Pedroncelli Winery. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.